Please take your Bibles and uh, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians 13. While you're uh, doing that, I need to uh, find out if a rumor I heard is true. Uh, Gary and Rose, is it your 50th anniversary this week? Five oh. What day? Thursday this week. You have four days to make it, all right? <laughs> Hang in there, Gary. Hang in there. What an accomplishment. Thank God for that kind of commitment. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful to you for the blessing of 50 years that Gary and Rose have experienced, the ups and the downs, the serving together, the learning together, the worshiping together, the laughter together. Um, Father, we just thank you for all those years. Thank you that you've been part of it, and we praise you for that. May their celebration be uh, a rejoicing one. May their celebration be one of uh, remembering your goodness to them. Father, your goodness also involves teaching us from your word. Thank you for your word and how you present truth to us. Father, I pray that uh, as we look at it today, that would happen again, that your spirit would present truth that can impact our lives. That's our, that's our desire. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm going to ask you a question that uh, will be difficult for a number of you. I know it's difficult for me. I had to look it up. Um, what were you doing on February 5th of this year? We're talking four months ago. A certain day. What were you doing on February 5th? Well, I looked it up. On February 5th, it was a Sunday. And Janine and I had lunch with Steve and Linda Cranes at their house and had a good time of fellowship and prayer together as well as good food. But it was a Sunday, and that morning prior to having lunch with them, uh, we began a study through the book of 2 Corinthians. So four months ago was the first of 18 messages going through Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Today, four months later, is the 18th and final message of that series. How many were here February 5th for the first message? Okay. And you're here for the last one. Uh, and maybe you've been able to be here for many of them in between. But it's been a good journey. It's been a good study to learn uh, what Paul wrote to these people that were so dear to him and yet frustrated him so greatly. Uh, it's been a good study. At the bottom of your sheet, if you have a study sheet, I just want to kind of go back to the beginning, to February 5th, and there on the bottom of your sheet today, you have the same thing that was on the bottom of your sheet four months ago. It's a list of about 21 subjects that we were going to see being addressed to some degree in the letter of 2 Corinthians. 
And so uh, I wanted that back before you so that you would be able to take some time, and I'm going to challenge you later to do this, but to take some time and go back through that list of subjects that we said would be coming up in this study and uh, that perhaps spoke to some needs that you might have had four months ago. And I want you to spend time reviewing this series and thinking about which of the needs in that list you recall being addressed in Second Corinthians and perhaps at just the right time when that was a need in your life. God does that, doesn't he? And so uh, I want that to be part of your review after our last study, uh, going back through that and seeing how God spoke to you. Maybe it was some big ideas on some of these needs that you needed to just hear again, or maybe it was something very specific, exactly what you needed on a certain subject and how Paul presented it in this study uh, impacted you in a very personal way. It's good to think back to that so that we can thank God for how he uh, uses his word uh, to minister to us. Today, as we conclude the chapter 13, which then concludes the letter, we start in verse 5 and we go through verse 14. And what Paul is going to do, basically two things as he wraps up this letter. First of all, he's going to turn the table on the Corinthian people. And then he's going to reaffirm to them his hopes. And so we'll kind of focus on those two things, and then we'll see how he actually ends uh, the letter. But I want to start with um, Paul turning the table on the Corinthians. And he does that in verse 5. I'm going to give you an example of turning the table before we see how Paul does it. I was reading that in the state of New Jersey, in a little league baseball program in one of the towns, the officials of that league had had enough with parents and other spectators criticizing the umpires uh, cursing at the umpires, hassling the umpires throughout every game. And these were like 11 and 12-year-old kids. But the league had had enough with the way the spectators were treating the umpires. The umpires were volunteers, just like they are here and in many of our leagues around here. And so what they did to deal with this issue was they basically turned the table on these spectators who were doing this. And they came up with a new rule in their baseball program. And the rule was that there was to be no cursing at the umpires, no harsh, loud criticizing of the umpires. And I would say hallelujah because I'm an ump for Little League. Um, but they laid that down as a rule. And if it was determined that somebody in the stands was violating that rule, they were banned from the field 
until they would have served as an umpire for three games. If they violated the new rule, they could no longer be at the games until they would have served as an umpire for three games. Why did they do that? Well, they wanted these critics to see what it was like. Turn the table on them. See what it's like to be a volunteer umpire. And, uh, and so that became the rule. Now, Paul is going to turn the table on the Corinthians. And he's going to do it with a challenge. So let's read it. It's in verse 5. He says in verse 5, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. So here's the challenge that really turns the table on the Corinthians. He says to them, examine yourselves. Now, what has Paul been addressing through this whole letter? People are examining him, right? They've been evaluating Paul, and some of the Corinthians in that church have been impacted by the accusations and the criticisms of Paul and his ministry. And he's had to address that throughout this letter, keep coming back to it. The Corinthians have been examining him, and they're starting to think that maybe he isn't qualified to be an apostle. Maybe God didn't really call Paul to this ministry. They've started questioning his motives. Are his motives pure? Or is he exploiting people? But he's had to deal with all these criticisms because people are examining him, evaluating him, criticizing him. And so as he comes to the end of the letter, he says, as he turns the table, examine yourselves. Instead of evaluating me, evaluate yourselves. Look at your own hearts. It's quite a challenge, isn't it? Examine yourself. Now, what are they supposed to be examining? What, what are they looking for? Well, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. What does that mean? Examine yourselves to see if you really are believers, if you really are Christians, if you really are saved, if you really are followers, whatever term you want to use. But he says, examine yourselves. Check yourselves to see if you are really in the faith. Now, I don't know how the Corinthians felt when that was read to them, when that challenge was read to them. But I know today that would be a very offensive challenge. Don't you think? Everybody is offended by everything. And can you imagine what would happen if somebody stood before a group of people who call themselves Christians and said, folks, evalu evaluate yourself. Examine yourself. 
to see if you are really in the faith. Who would ever challenge somebody that way? That would offend people, wouldn't it? Are you judging me? Are you suggesting I'm not in the faith? I'm not a Christian? That's offensive to me. How dare you? But that's the challenge. He turns the table on the Corinthians. Instead of examining me and criticizing me, examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Somebody might say, well, you can't know if you're saved for sure. I mean, how do you examine yourself to see if you're in the faith? You can't really know. Someday you'll find out if it's genuine. Someday you'll find out if it's real. How can you tell people to examine themselves to see if they're in the faith? Nobody really knows. Well, that's a cop-out. What does the Bible say? Keep your finger in 2 Corinthians. Take a look at 1 John. Toward the end of the New Testament, the book of 1 John, chapter 5. As John gets near the end of this letter, in chapter 5, verse 13, this is what he says. He gives the reason for writing this little letter. 1 John 5:13. he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may, what? Know that you have eternal life. So what would John say to the person who says, you can't know for sure if you're in the faith. You can't know for sure if you really have eternal life, if you're saved, if you're a follower of Christ. John says, no. You just need to read my letter because I have written these things so that you will know you have eternal life, that you're in the faith. So it's possible to know. It would be possible for the Corinthians to know for sure if they were in the faith. It would be possible for us to know. How do you examine yourself to determine if you're really in the faith? Well, remember what John said. He said, I've written these things that you may know. So guess what? The exam is 1 John. The examination takes place in 1 John. And we're not studying 1 John. But I'm going to challenge you to take the examination, to spend time in 1 John. Because John talks about things that will help you know for sure or not. Things like what you believe. Things like uh, your view of sin and how you handle sin. Things like obedience to the Word of God. Things like love for other Christians. Things like the presence of the Holy Spirit and His work. Things like what He calls remaining. There's like seven, eight, nine different things you can look for to examine yourself to see if you really are in the faith. And that's what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. He turns the table and he says, now you've been examining me. You've been criticizing me. 
You've been trying to figure out if I'm really an apostle. Now you examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. And then he goes on and he says, or don't you realize that Christ is in you? And so Paul isn't judging them. Paul isn't even suggesting they're not believers. In fact, if you go back through 2 Corinthians, over and over again, he refers to them as believers. He calls them saints. He calls them brothers and sisters. He uses other terminology. Paul, throughout the whole letter, believes these are Christian people. So he's not judging them here. He's not even suggesting they're not Christians. But he says, you need to examine yourselves. Turn away from examining me and examine yourselves to see if you are really in the faith. Don't you realize that Christ is in you? It matters. It's a big deal. It means something if Jesus is in you. It makes a difference. It should. It should influence how you live. It should influence your response to me, Paul. So examine yourselves. See if you're in the faith. Don't you realize that Christ is in you? That that means something? And it's important? And then, of course, he has to be real. And he says, or is it possible you would fail the test? And you would have to acknowledge upon examination Maybe you really don't know Jesus. But he's not accusing them of that. He's just saying examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Then he goes on, and we'll talk more about that as it pertains to you and I at the end. Then he goes on and he talks about his hopes. He has some hopes. And uh, let's, let's see how he says that. Starting in verse 6. He says, And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Not that people will see that we have stood the test, but that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad Whenever we are weak and you're strong, and our prayers for your perfection. This is why I write these things when I'm absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority of the Lord that he gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. So after challenging them, kind of turning the table to have them examine themselves, their hearts, he says, here are some of my hopes. Now, remember from our last study, he's planning a third visit back to Corinth. And if you recall two weeks ago, he says, I'm afraid of what I might find. I'm afraid that if, when I come back the third time, uh, you're still going to be involved in these sins that I've been trying to get you to, you know, repent of. Uh, I'm afraid what I'm going to see. I want it to be a great visit. I don't want it to be a painful visit. So he kind of refers back to that here and shares his hopes. The first thing that he talks about is he has hopes concerning himself. It's like he's saying, I hope that 
if you would turn toward yourselves and examine yourself to see if you're in the faith, somehow as you do that, you would discover that I passed the test. That somehow you would discover through your time with God that I really am qualified to be an apostle. That I really have pure motives. That I really am who I say I am. That God really has called me. That's one of his hopes. That maybe if they just kind of stop the criticism of him and, and start examining their self, themselves, that somehow they would come to discover, well, maybe Paul is who he says he is. Maybe his heart is right. And he says, you know, I can't do anything against the truth. I'm for the truth. I speak the truth. I try to live the truth. I promote the truth. And I hope you discover that and come to that conclusion. He also shares hopes for them. He says, uh, our desire is that you be strong. That you be people of the faith who are strong. Our desire for you is that you don't do wrong things, but you do the right things. And then he says, our desire for you is that you be perfect. And the word there simply means complete, mature. He's just saying what makes us glad and what we hope for is that you will grow in your faith. That you will become more and more complete and mature. That's our hope for you. And it's really interesting that Paul, right to the end of this letter, expresses these caring and loving and concerning hopes for these people because throughout the letter, he's dealing with things that, for most of us, we would have just called it quits with these people. You know? They have frustrated him so much. But still, right to the end, he's showing concern. And he says, my hope for you is that you will be strong, that you will be complete and perfect and mature, that you'll do the right things, not the wrong things. That's still his prayer and his desire. So his hope is that they will somehow discover that he's been telling the truth and he really is called by God to be an apostle and his motives are pure. His hope for them is that they will grow, they will be strong, they'll do the right things, they'll become mature. And then he says he has hopes for this third visit when he comes. And that's why he says in verse 10, this is why I write these things when I'm absent, that when I come for this third visit, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. My hope is that when I come for this visit, I don't have to use my authority. I, I don't have to confront things. We talked about it two weeks ago. I, I don't have to come and have this painful visit again where I have to confront things that are still going on in your lives. That's not what I want. My hope is that you'll deal with these things. And when I come, we can have good fellowship. And I can just kind of lay aside my authority as an apostle and not have to be harsh with you. That's my hope, he says. And he makes a comment about this authority. He says, the authority the Lord gave me for building you up 
not for tearing you down. What a, what a great statement about authority that the Lord gives. The authority the Lord gives to people, whether it's authority as an apostle, like Paul, authority he gives to leaders in a church, authority he gives to moms and dads, authority he gives to his people who are leaders at work, When God gives authority, it's an authority to build up, not an authority to tear down. The interesting thing is Paul had experienced both authorities. Go back to the book of Acts with me. Acts 26. Here's one of the places where the Apostle Paul gave his testimony. This one is before a king. Verse 9 of Acts 26. He says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. Now notice this. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And a couple of verses on, he talks again about the authority given to him by the chief priests. This is before he was a Christian. And how did he use that authority? What was the purpose of that authority given by the chief priests? It was to imprison Christians. It was to oversee the killing of Christians. Paul knew what it was like to have been given authority to tear people down and destroy them. But now as a follower of Jesus, an apostle called by God, he's been given authority by God to what? Build people up not tear them down. So Paul had experienced both kinds of authority. And he says, I don't want to come on this third visit and have to use my authority that God has given me to build you up. I don't want to be harsh. I want to have good fellowship. I want us to enjoy my visit. That's my hope. So he shares those hopes. After the challenge, after sharing these hopes, he gives some very quick instructions. Verse 11. Finally, brothers, goodbye. Aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. So he says, finally, brothers and sisters, goodbye. Um, The Greek word there is the word for rejoice or be glad. Some of your translations don't say goodbye. They say rejoice, right? That's a good translation. Charis. It means rejoice, be glad. 
And it was a common greeting or farewell in the Greek culture. If they greeted somebody or gave a farewell, they would say, Karis, be glad, rejoice. Kind of like the Jews who had shalom, peace. It was a common greeting when you came, when you left. Shalom, peace, shalom, peace. This is Karis, rejoice, be glad. So that, that's his farewell to them. So he's not just harshly saying goodbye. He's saying rejoice, be glad. That's how he ends it. And then you have these four quick instructions. He says aim for perfection. So he brings that up again because he said that's what we pray for. That's our hope. So aim for perfection. In other words, aim to become more complete. In your faith, aim for growth, aim for maturity. Let that be your, your goal, your desire. We pray for it. It's our hope for you. Aim for it. Then he says, listen to my appeal. I've been urging you. I've been encouraging you. I've been challenging you. Pay attention. Listen. Heed my appeal. Consider these things that I've been telling you. Then he says, be of one mind and live in peace. Get along. Live in harmony with each other. <clears throat> and uh, if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians or what we've gone through, you know that was an issue in, in Corinth. And so he just says, hey, get along. Live in harmony. Live in peace. So aim for perfection. Aim for growth. Aim for maturity. Consider the things I've told you. Pay attention to them. Heed them. And get along. Live in peace. Let harmony be the description of your church and your relationships. <clears throat> and then he passes on some greetings. First he says, greet one another. Give each other a good holy kiss. Okay? Greet one another with a holy kiss. That was part of the tradition then. Um, some of you maybe have visited other parts of the world today that that's still a tradition, that, that they greet people with a kiss on the cheek or wherever. And it was the tradition then. So he just says, hey, greet each other with a holy kiss. Make sure it's holy. But greet each other with a holy kiss. And then he says, uh, the saints, the, the believers here, send their greeting. Um, does anybody remember where Paul is when he writes this? He's up in Macedonia. So what he's saying is the Christians up here in Macedonia, maybe it's in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, but they send their greetings. Greet one another with the holy kiss. Um, the believers up here send their greetings to you. And then he gives a benediction. Verse 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And that's the end of the letter. <clears throat> what do you notice about that benediction? Well, first of all, you have the entire Godhead, right? You have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. May the grace of the Lord Jesus, so the benediction passes on grace, May the grace of the Lord Jesus, may the love of God 
And may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Grace, love, and fellowship. That's his benediction. That's his blessing on these people. And remember, these are people that have frustrated him to no end. These are people who have been involved in sin and they won't turn from it, no matter what he does. These are people he's had painful visits with. These are people who have criticized him, people who have been influenced by false teachers who've accused Paul. And yet he's giving this kind of blessing. And he has these kinds of hopes that we see in this last passage. What a guy. I'm really encouraged to see how Paul can maintain his concern for these people despite all his frustrations with them. That's a true leader. That's a true servant of God. So there you have it. The letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Um, A challenge. He turns the table says, okay, you've been examining me, you've been criticizing me, uh, you've been evaluating me, Now I want you to examine yourselves. Put the spotlight on your own heart and see if you are really in the faith. Do you realize that Christ is in you, what that means? Or will you find out you don't pass the test? And you really aren't in the faith. Then he gives some hopes. I hope that in this whole process you will discover that I've been telling you the truth. I'm for real. My motives are pure. I continue to have hopes for you that you will grow, that you'll be strong, that you will mature, that you will do right things. And I have hopes for our visit when I come that I won't have to be harsh in the use of the authority God gave me. And so here are some instructions. Greet each other. Christians up here in Macedonia greet you. And then the blessing. Concerning grace and love and fellowship. So let's wrap it up. Here's how I want to uh, do that. Back to the bottom of your sheet. And what we talked about February 5th. Um, Ask the question four months ago when we started. Are any of these 21 things listed here, these potential needs, your needs right now? I asked that on February 5th. And I think I had you mark them, the ones that you were interested in seeing how Paul addresses those. Because they were your needs. So the question now four months later is, did Paul address any of these things in a way that helped you? That um, spoke to you and and your need? Um, I encourage you to go back through that to review. Go back through that list and think about, Okay, how did, how did Paul address that? What do I remember us talking about 
on that subject and, and just kind of go back through, you know, asking yourself, what did I learn? What did I hear about that particular subject as we went through Second Corinthians? Maybe you want to read the book again. Read the book now after you've spent four months going through it and see if it makes more sense than it did the last time you read Second Corinthians. So I encourage you to review that way. The second thing is I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you with verse 5. And I want to say to you, examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Am I judging you? No. I'm just saying it's not a bad thing to do. In fact, it's a good thing to do. Examine yourself to see if you really are who you say you are, if you really are in the faith, a follower of Christ. But can you really know? Of course you can. Examine yourself by spending time in 1 John. Take that challenge. Go to 1 John, just five chapters. But John says he wrote those things to help you know you have eternal life. And so there's your exam. Look at the things that John presents that help you know if you are in the faith. And examine yourself. Are these things true of me? There's like, I said, seven or eight things he brings up. And if they're true, then that can assure you that you are in the faith. You can know. And there's always the possibility that if you're willing to take that examination, you would have to admit, maybe I really am not what I say I am. Are you willing to take that chance? One outcome of doing the first John exam is that you will be assured. And that's good for us, isn't it? To be assured, to be reassured. That we are in the faith. We know Jesus. But the other possibility is that maybe some would have to be honest and say, maybe I really am not. And if that's the case, then make sure. Then make sure you're in the faith. And that Jesus is in you. So that's the challenge. Same challenge that Paul gave the Corinthians. Let me finish the series this way. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That was Paul's blessing for the Corinthians. That's my blessing for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all these weeks, for these months that we have just walked through this, this letter that your servant Paul wrote to a church in Corinth, to a real church, to real people. And uh, Father, thank you for what we learned. Thank you for how we saw 
Paul addressing different situations, different needs. Thank you, Father, for how he handled criticism. What an example for us. Thank you, Father, for his conviction uh, in doing that. But thank you also, Father, for the concern we saw over and over again, and even today, that he had for the people, the very people that were frustrating him and having doubts about him. Father, may just that big idea that we saw throughout speak to our hearts and influence how we deal with criticism, how we deal with accusations, how we deal with people who frustrate us. Father, may we continue to have the love of Jesus for those people and pray for them, for their salvation, for their growth, for their completeness in Christ. Father, uh, as we choose perhaps to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith as we spend time in First John, Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us assurance that we would know that we belong to you. But if need be, Lord, would you reveal to us and cause us to be honest to conclude that maybe we don't know you and we need to make that right. Father, whatever you need to do as we examine ourselves, we ask you to do it by your spirit and by your word. In Jesus' name, amen.